Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we're talking about talented teams. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. Every biopharmaceutical company has to have talented teams. These are high-performing individuals, high skill sets, lots of education. How do you get them to be at your company? How do you keep them at your company? How do you make talented people happy? I'm joined today by Tara Fitzgerald, President of Clinical Development Services here at Cineos Health. Tara is responsible for talented teams of about 7,000 people, and those talented teams are growing and changing all the time in response to client demands. Tara builds these teams as part of her day-to-day work. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Talented Teams, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. What's the difference between clinical development services and clinical? So clinical is the full division, which owns the therapeutic business unit, medical monitoring, those groups. You have clinical development services, which is my team. That's primarily all of the support functions. So that would be biometrics, which is data management, biostatistics, medical writing. It's safety and pharmacovigilance, study startup, investigator payments, a lot of the functions that support the full service teams and clinical trials. And we have a big component of FSP. FSP is functional service provider. So it's where we outsource a specific function to a client. So you want to build an internal team because we build a lot of internal teams. Why don't you just tell us, why do we build so many internal teams and then explain how a pharma company might then learn? How do you build your own internal teams? Well, we have to start with the culture fit with the individuals that we hire on. They all come with their own expertise in those particular areas. And we marry those up with leadership teams that can drive success for those individuals. We listen to our clients. We listen to the ask of what types of individuals they want and what type of relationship they need. And then we work around that. We extend ourselves as a extension of our clients. We look at each specific area We look for strong leadership, and I think one of the most important things we do is we create an environment of safety, an environment where we create an opportunity for our internal staff to come to the table with creative ideas in a low-risk environment. We create an opportunity where individuals feel they're heard and they're listened to, and all of that translates into retention. It translates into the stability of teams, which we then can pass on to long-standing relationships with our clients, and we grow upon that foundation. And when we can do that successfully with a small team, we have created a culture that every time we add either new functions or additional folks to the teams, they learn that culture. They have folks that help them through that, and it creates a more successful, long-standing relationship with our clients. Let's say that you needed to build a new team. That's true of a pharma company. It's true of us internally. What do you do when you start? Are you just starting with a leader and working your way down? Do you start with a group of people that you already have and you're trying to find a leader that slots into that? Tell me what's the approach that works the best. Sure. I think there is no one approach that works the best because every one of our clients asks for something a bit different. I think where you have to start is with a basic resourcing plan. We have many clients that come to us that say, I want staff in Asia. I want staff specifically in Mexico City. And so you have to start with the regional aspect of it first. Then you find leaders in those areas. And in parallel, not then after, in parallel, you want to match the expertise with those particular areas. Unlike some of the therapeutic business units that we have for the oncology business unit, for example, everyone in that group is therapeutically oncology scientist minded. They love that space. That's what they've studied. They're there. 
in a functional world, which is what we support for Cineo's health, we can't always therapeutically align, but we do do our best from a statistical perspective, for example, from a data management perspective, we do do the best that we can. And so we look to marry up the expertise, even in a particular therapeutic area with a team. And so we have to be very diligent about the ask that the client has, and then we have to listen. And I think that's a lost art in some cases, listen to what the client is asking for, and then we work with them to propose what a resourcing plan is and how we stand that up. And oftentimes, depending on the size of that, there's always a governance that's included. If it's five CRAs in China, that's easily managed by our leadership in China through our teams. And what's a CRA? Contract Research Associate, a Mm -hmm. monitor. Others may know it as a monitor. So it could be very small. If it's a large scale, then we'd certainly put in governance and means of escalation so that we're showing the client transparency. We set up KPIs, we set up metrics so that we have that constant feedback for status and success. And how is that different or is that exactly the same as if you're a pharma company and you're setting up your own internal team? Like, Can a pharma company learn from what we've learned over the years on how we set these teams up? So I don't know that it's totally different. I think what I would say might be a differentiator is the flexibility that our organization would have as being the one contracted to. We have a lot of flexibility. We have the means to create retention programs that maybe might take a long time for a big pharma to put in place. A couple of examples of that are we have a step rates program in India and in Mexico City that we talk to our clients a lot about. And it's important to them to have retention so we have that continuity, especially in some of these very detailed functional services that we provide to them. And that step rates program is one in general where each of our individuals are given a set of goals for a given period of time quarter, two quarters. They sit down then with their managers. They review their success. If they have met all of those goals, they move on to the next step and they have visibility, number one, to what their goals are. They have one-on-one contact with their manager, which helps you feel wanted and valued. And they have a successful moment where they get a step in pay or a step in title. And that has worked very well in regions around the world where that's necessary for those particular cultures. Step rate, just define that for those who might not know what that is. Sure. So step rates program means a step up in either pay or in title after certain goals have been met internally. What it plays to is retention and it keeps our internal teams focused. It builds a dedication that otherwise would not be there. And we've had huge success with this program in Mexico City as well as in India. Is there something that we need to know or that a pharma company would need to know about ex-US versus US versus Europe in terms of building teams that might not be obvious to someone who's lived in only one of these areas? Yeah, I think I can answer that from basically a value proposition or rewards and recognition expectation. I was fortunate to be a part of developing one of those programs and we went around and asked our employees, how do you feel valued? What action happens that you're like, wow, I know this company respects me and values me. And it was very interesting to get different answers in each of the regions that we solicited feedback. For some, reward is a pat on the back. For others, it's something monetary. For others, it's acknowledgement of tenure. And I think it's important that we have the capability to listen to our internal employees so that we understand what means the most for them and how they feel valued. And we can develop programs around that in each of 
of the regions to make sure we're playing and responding to those asks from those employees in those regions. What regions are the pat on the back ones? <laughs> Which ones are the ones you have to pay? The way, <laughs> well, quite honestly, what we did find, and this is in general, the U.S. was very much, please pay me, thank you. Good, I I'm found, in the right place. Exactly. I found in the European regions, it was more about tenure. Acknowledge that I have dedicated 10 years, 20 years to this organization, and I've given it my all. And for Asia Pacific, those regions, it's more about inclusion and feeling a part of the team and not out on an island. So it wasn't necessarily monetary, but more of being a part of a bigger team and always acknowledging that. It's worth thinking through the breadth of teams that you built and that you are responsible for ultimately. You mentioned biostatistics and medical writing, which are two things that I glommed onto because I like both of those things. What else are we talking? Are we talking about thinking kind of roles completely or are are you making teams to do everything under the sun? It's not everything under the sun. I have a large team. I have over 7,000 employees worldwide. We have nine different business units within the business line. So we're talking about the ones that you mentioned, data management, biostatistics, and medical writing. We're also talking about safety and pharmacovigilance, which is a very important part of a clinical trial. We're talking about things like investigator payments and electronic trial master file. These are all necessary in any type of clinical trial that we run. What we do is we take what we have and we do it better. I'll take investigator payments for just a moment. It's a pain point for the industry. We have some sponsors that we work with that have 17 vendors trying to solve investigator payments. And we have an internal stellar team that is second to none that can resolve all of those issues. And we have a good story to tell about that. And I think creating these strong relationships with our sponsors, we build trust over time, which allows us to have these one-off conversations and maybe get in the door with a different function or allows us to get into the right individual that might be making that decision decision for that. And it grows our relationship. We benefit because we grow financially and as an organization. But behind all of that, our teams are growing. And the success that these teams feel is just second to none. And a lot of people ask, why, Tara, why do you do the stuff that you do? Why do you get up every morning? And it's having the ability to create the opportunity for people to succeed, to do things that they never thought that they could do, to feel the success and to push themselves into uncomfortable positions, but yet come out on top. That's incredible to me. And that's what I love to do. And our clients see that. They see that we take good care of all of our employees and they want that and they want to work with that. And I think although it's an internal build, it's an external cell and relationship that we're developing by doing just the right thing about taking care of our employees. Talent management is very challenging in the current environment just because people have a lot of options. The economy is doing well. Unemployment is low, at least in the U.S. In that space, and we're talking about pretty high value employees. They're trained. They know what they're doing. They have very good skill sets. They're highly educated how do you manage or build teams around those that's different from, say, when I was growing up and I knew the teams that were down at the aluminum plant. And then a little bit later, I knew the teams that were around in my labs and I know the teams in consulting. How does somebody in biopharma today with these knowledge management kind of people, high skills people, how do you think about those teams? 
differently from any of those? Finding specific skilled individuals is a tough thing. It's something that all companies of our like are going out to look for the same thing. And it is a very competitive area. Anyone in talent acquisition will tell you that. What we have to do as an organization, and I think we do well, is we tell our story that we are different. We are not like every other CRO or CCO out there. We're a biopharmaceutical accelerator company, and that's different from what the others are. I think finding that talent is one thing. I think the key, though, is retaining it. And that's what I'm talking about in building the teams and creating an environment of value that these folks feel like they can use their talent, that they're heard. And we just had this conversation a bit earlier today. Each individual is different. Everyone wants to be included, but they want to be included in a different way. And I think one of the things that we do well is a character that is sometimes lost, which is just basic listening. Listening to what these individuals want. What is their passion? What is their desire? And as leaders, we need to open up those doors to allow them to be who they are. We didn't hire these individuals to sit in a corner and not say anything. So we have to do our part to open up the door and allow them to do what they're excellent doing. And by nature of doing that, people stay. People stay with an organization that supports them and supports their passion and supports their beliefs. How does that work? I've got a team that I've built. I think I know all the functional roles. I want these people to grow and have some kind of entrepreneurial, I'm listening to them, they're getting their passions. Does that mean they go outside the teams? Does that mean the team changes? Or does that mean that they're moving up within the team because of attrition from other people above them? I'm trying to figure out because it's got to be one of those three things in my mind. They've got to go somewhere. So where are they going to get that whatever they need to be able to be retained? Again, there's no one answer to that. You had mentioned that it has to be one of them. It would probably depend on the function and the particular role. If you have a good leader, quite honestly, anything's possible. So it would depend on what the vision is for that area. And then we would formulate a plan around it. And there's pilots that we run in this organization and sometimes they fail and that's okay. We pick up and we move on with something else. And it would be treated much in the same fashion that this is our mission. This is our end game. This is what we're out to accomplish. If we don't get there from point A to point B, then maybe we go in a different direction. That's one of the areas that Senior's Health is excellent at, and that's driven from Alistair McDonald down to be able to have an open environment, to be able to move individuals into different functions. I mean, if you look at the path alone that Alistair took, he's touched just about everything, and that has made him well-rounded, and that's what we're able to do with a lot of these high-functioning individuals, that whether they're bored at what they're doing or they communicate with another group and they're interested in that, we have to be catalysts as leadership here to make sure they get to that and get experience in those particular areas. We are the ones responsible for opening up those doors and for facilitating and supporting that. There are a lot of organizations out there that don't do that. And I think it's a disservice and you do lose people pretty quickly. Let's talk about one specific case, right? If you're a development company and you're moving to be a commercial organization, that is a major change. You had scientists and you may not keep all your scientists you're going to have commercial people, but you're going to have that transition of some of the people who are just the best thinkers among your scientists. You may still want them around. You may want them to become part of the commercial organization. Have we run into that essentially through mergers and acquisitions? Have we solved that problem at Cineos? I think you have a point where as we solve the problem of retention internally for ourselves, we're solving that for our clients. Right. And that comes full circle back to where we started, that it comes with creating happy individuals in the organization because happiness breeds success. We've seen it time and time again. So your question is, how do you make the happy happen? 
And with the multitude of different functions and personalities that I have in my team, there is no one answer to that. You have to understand your teams, you have to listen, and you have to be an active participant in their career path and in their desire to move forward. And you may have a biostatistician that is perfectly happy doing analysis day in and day out for the next 25 years. And you may have a data manager who hopes to be CEO one day. And each one of those paths is different. And there's a way to get there. And if you're a strong leader, if you're listening, if you're compassionate, if you're vulnerable, then they are seeing that not everyone is perfect. And if she's asking me for help and she's there, I can be that, I can move there. And so it's creating that environment where they can ask for things that they may otherwise not have been able to. And I think that creates a pretty powerful message. Has there been something that everyone thinks is really important about building strong teams, but really doesn't matter? Just doesn't matter. You found that over the years. I guess I would have to say in certain functions, in certain regions, there's always going to be those individuals that it's all about the money. Unfortunately, quite honestly, it isn't about the culture. In, in America, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, maybe that's human nature for where we are and where our cultures have taken us. But we do have certain functions that no matter what we do, there's going to be turnover. And so there's ways to mitigate that too, that we use with our clients. We can create benches, we can train additional staff. So we foresee it coming, we can see certain trends and we can try to get in front of it. We're very closely with talent acquisition for all of these because we have fast moving parts. We could have to stand up a business unit of 1,200 people in the next six months and the reverse could happen. We might have to find a home for 500 people because a study was canceled. So there's always the ebb and flow of deployment of staff and where they best fit. And while I think we all struggle with turnover, I do think Cineos Health has a very compelling environment that people want to be a part of. We have a bigger story that we're telling. And I think we do well with translating our message to the industry internally to our teams. And they can resonate with that. And they want to be a part of that. I've read that if you ask what's the kind of leader that does the best, the answer is yes. Essentially, you can find any leader type that works in different situations. Having said that, when you're building internal teams, have you found something that's maybe different about leaders that really, really work in these kinds of situations with these kinds of people that is different from what most people would expect from a good leader? I don't know that it's different. I think good leadership, quite honestly, can be very simple. I think one thing that certain leaders fail at is they don't hire people smarter than them. We all have strengths and weaknesses. It's best to acknowledge what those are and then surround yourself with people that can fill those gaps. I think it's important as a leader, a good leader, to be vulnerable, to know that you're going to make mistakes and to ask your teams for support, to ask for their opinion, to help in the resolution rather than tell them the resolution. I like Simon Sinek and I listen to a lot of his podcasts and this is not verbatim, but one quote that he has that I really like, it's much longer, but the last sentence in it is that, Great leaders don't consider themselves as great. They consider themselves as human. And I think that resonates with me because being able to build trust among the teams means you failed. They've seen you fail and they're going to help you get back up. And if they're in the same position, they know you're going to be there for them. And I've had the same leadership team for many, many years because we strive to be a successful team in that we constantly are supporting each other, in that we understand we're going to make mistakes and things will happen, that clients are going to be upset with us and how are we going to get through that together. We all have the same vision at the end of the day and that's pretty powerful. But a good leader is not one that isolates himself or herself in a room with a title and never speaks to her or his teams. You have to know your teams and you have to build those relationships in order for success to happen. 
Tara Fitzgerald, thanks so much for joining us on the Cineos Health Podcast. Great. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at Where consultants, that's what we do.